First Kings chapter six. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and we are going to uh, pray and then we're going to get started. If you are here for the first time, this is the read and rant. We spent about 20 to 30 minutes reading scripture. We spent another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on scripture. We've been journeying through the entire Bible. And so that's what we're going to do together right now. We're going to ask three questions. Lord, what are you revealing concerning yourself? Lord, what are you revealing concerning people? Lord, what are you revealing concerning me? Father, I ask today, Lord, as we engage in your word, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bless us in this time. Lord, be with us, Lord, as we read your word. Allow us to hear your voice in your word, Father. I pray right now, Lord, that you would come against whatever uh, spiritual or demonic attack that comes against this time. Father, we pray Lord, that you remove every distraction. We pray that you would give us clarity of thought, clarity of mind as we engage with your word. Father, we proclaim, Lord, your blessings over this time. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get going, fam. We're in First Kings chapter 6, and it says this. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, the house which is which King Solomon built for the Lord its length was 60 cubits, its width 20, its height 30 cubits. The vestibule in the front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the width of the vestibule extended 10 cubits from the front of the house. And he made for the house windows of beveled frames. Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around against the walls of the temple, all around the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Thus, he made side chambers all around it. The lowest, the lowest chamber was five cubits wide. The middle was six cubits wide. The third was seven cubits wide, for he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at, a, at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel or any iron stone was heard in the temple while it was being built. The doorway for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by the stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. And he built the side chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple with cedar beams. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my commandments, keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you which I spoke to your father David and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. And he built the inside walls of the temple with the cedar boards from the floor of the temple to the ceiling. He paneled the inside with wood and he covered the floor of the temple with planks of cypress. Then he built the 20 cubit room at the rear of the temple from the floor to the ceiling with cedar boards. He built it inside as an inner sanctuary, as the most holy place. And in front of it, the temple sanctuary was 40 cubits long. The inside of the temple was cedar, carved with ornamental buds 
and open flowers. All was cedar. There was no stone to be seen. And he prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to set the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord there. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid it, overlaid the altar of cedar. So Solomon overlaid the inside of the temple with pure gold. He stretched the gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. The whole temple he overlaid with gold until he had finished all the temple. Also, he overlaid with gold the entire altar that was by the inner sanctuary. Inside the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim of olive wood, each 10 cubits wide. One wing of the cherubim was five cubits and the other wing of the cherubim five cubits, 10 cubits from the tip of the one wing to the tip of the other. And the other cherub was 10 cubits. Both cherubim were at the same size or of the same size and shape. Then, uh, sorry, the height of one cherub was 10 cubits. And so was the other cherub. Then he set the cherub inside the inner room and they stretched out the wings of the cherub so that the wing of the one touched one wall and the wing of the other cherub touched another wall and their wings touched each other in the middle of the room. So he overlaid the cherubim with gold. Then he carved all the walls of the temple all around, both the inner and outer sanctuaries with carved figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers. And the floor of the temple he overlaid with gold, both the inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary he made of olive wood, the lentil and doorposts, were one-fifth of the wall. The two doors were of olive wood. He carved on them figures of cherubim, palm trees, and open flowers, and overlaid them with gold. And he spread the gold on the cherub, cherubim and on the palm tree. So for the door of the sanctuary, he made doorposts of olive wood, one-fourth of the wall. And the two doors were of cypress wood, two panels comprised one folding door and the two panels comprised of the other folding door. Then he carved the cherub palm trees and opened flowers on them. And he overlaid them with gold and applied evenly on the carved work. And he built the inner court of the three rows of hewn stone and, huh, and a row of cedar beams. In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv, and in the eleventh year in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished in all its details according to its plans. So he was seven years in building it. But Solomon took 13 years to build his own house. So he finished all his house. He also built the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, with four rows of cedar pillars and cedar beams on the pillars, and it was paneled with cedar above the beams that were on 45 pillars, 15 in a row. There were windows with beveled frames in three rows, and window was opposite the window in three tiers, and all the doorways and doorposts had rectangular frames, and the window was opposite window in three tiers. He also made a hall of pillars. Its length was 50 cubits and its 
with 30 cubits. In front of them was a portico with pillars and a canopy was in front of them. Then he made a hall for the throne, the hall of judgment where he might judge. And it was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. And the house where he dwelt had another court inside the hall of like workmanship. Solomon also made a house like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had taken as his wife. All of these were costly stones cut to size, trimmed with saws inside and out from the foundation to the eaves and also on the outside of the great court. The foundation was of costly stones, large stones, some 10 cubits, some eight cubits. Hold on a second. Sorry, guys. Having issues here. Good. Hopefully this works. Um, and above were costly stones, hewn in size and cedar wood. The great court was enclosed with three rows of hewn stones and a, a row of cedar beams. So, so were the inner court of the house of the Lord and the vestibule of the temple. Hiram, this is about Hiram the craftsman. Verse 13. Now, King Solomon sent and brought Hiram from Tyre. He was a son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and his father was a man of tear, a bronze worker. He was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to King Solomon and did all his work. And he cast two pillars of bronze, each one 18 cubits high and a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of each. Then he made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. The height of one capital was five cubits. The height of the other capital was five cubits. He made a lattice network with wreaths of chain work for the capitals, which were on top of the pillar, seven chains for one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and two rows of pomegranates above the network all around to cover the capitals, which were on top. And thus he did for the other capital, the capitals, which were on top of the pillars in the hall were in the shape of lilies, four cubits, the capitals on the two pillars also had pomegranates above by the convex surface, which was next to the network. And there were 200 such pomegranates in rows on each of the capitals all around. And he set up the pillars by the vestibule of the temple. He set up, up the pillar on the right and called its name Jachin. And he set up the pillar on the left and called its name Boaz. And the tops of the pillars were the shapes of lilies. So the work of the pillars was finished. And he made the sea of cast bronze, 10 cubits from one brim to the other. It was completely round. Its height was five cubits and it's in a line of 30 cubits measured its circumference. Below its brim were ornamental buds encircling all around 10 to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The ornamental buds were cast into in two rows when it was cast, it stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. It was a hand breadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like the lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. 
He also made 10 carts of bronze. Four cubits was the height of each cart. Four cubits its width and three cubits its height. And this was the design of the carts. They had panels and the panels were between frames. On the panels that were between the frames were lions, oxen, and cherubim. And on the frames was a pedestal on top. Below the lions and oxen were wreaths of plated work. Each cart had four bronze wheels and axles of bronze, and its four feet had supports. Under the laver were supports of cast bronze beside each wreath. Its opening inside the crown at the top was one cubit in diameter, and its opening was round, shaped like a pedestal, one and a half cubits in outside diameter. And also on the opening were engravings, but the panels were square, not round. Under the panels were four wheels, and the axles of the wheels were joined to the cart. <clears throat> Sorry, give me one second. All right, we're just going to have to go without IG today. On the top of the cart, at the height of half a cubit, it was perfectly round, and on the top of the cart, its flanges and its panels were of the same casting. On the plates of its flanges and on its panels, he engraved cherubs, lions, and palm trees, wherever there was a clear space on each with wreaths all around. Thus he made the ten cards. All of them were of the same mold, one measure and one shape. Then he made ten lavers of bronze. Each laver contained 40 baths. Each laver was four cubits. On each of the ten cards was a laver and he put five cards on the right side of the house and five on the left side of the house. He set the sea on the right side of the house toward the south side. Haram made lavers of, uh, sorry, Haram made the lavers and the shovels and the bowls. So Haram finished doing all the work that he was to do for King Solomon for the house of the Lord. The two pillars, the two bowl-shaped capitals, that were on top of the two pillars, the two networks covering the two bowl-shaped capitals, which were on top of the pillars, four pomegranates, 400 pomegranates for the two networks, two rows of pomegranates for each network to cover the bowl-shaped capitals that were on the top of the pillars, then 10 cards and 10 lavers on the cards, one sea and 12 oxen under the sea, the pots, the shovels, and the bowls. All these articles which Haram made for King Solomon for the house of the Lord were furnished, were burnished bronze. And the plain of the Jordan, the king had them cast in clay molds between Succoth and Zaratan. And Solomon did not weigh all the articles because there were so many. The weight of the bronze was not determined. Thus, Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold and the table of gold on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, five on the right side, five on the left side, in front of the inner sanctuary with the flowers and the lamps and the wick trimmers of gold, the basins, the trimmers, the bowls, the ladles, the censers of pure gold, and the hinges of gold, both for the doors of the inner room, the most holy place, and for the doors of the main hall of the temple. So all the work of King Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Well, this will be our last chapter today.
uh, 1 Kings 8. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is in Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast of the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim for the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the sanctuary so that they cannot be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which the which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell. And the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel. While all the assembly of Israel was standing and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David. And with his hand, he has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people of Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house, that my name might be there. But I chose David to be my people, to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple from my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a temple, but your son, who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord fulfilled his, his word, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as God promised. And I have built a temple for the name of of the Lord God of Israel. And there I have made a place for the ark, which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers, which he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hand towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with all with your servants who walk before you 
with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant, David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant, David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But God will indeed dwell. Hold on one second. Verse 27, we'll go to verse 25. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be opened toward this temple night and day, toward the place with which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes towards this place, and you may hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in this temple, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servant's condemning the wicked, bringing his way on his head, and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray and make supplication to you in this temple, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. When the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain because they have sinned against you. When they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your children, is your, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. When there is famine in the land, pestilence, or a blight, or mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers, when the enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands towards the temple, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and give everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you also know the heart of all the sons of men. 
that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave your fathers. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not your people Israel, who has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays towards this temple, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. When your people go out to battle against their enemy, wherever you send them, and when they pray to the Lord toward the city which you have spoken and the temple which I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them, deliver them to the enemy and take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. When they return to you with all their heart, with all their soul, in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which you have built in your name, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you, and grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt out of the iron furnace that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them wherever they call you for you separated them from among all peoples of the earth and to be your inheritance as you spoke by your servant Moses then you brought our fathers out of Egypt O Lord God and it was so when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, that he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread up to heaven. Then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised, that he has not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgment, which he commanded our fathers. And may these words of mine, which I've made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel, as each day may require that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. Let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments at this day, as at this day. 
verse 62. Then the king and all Israel offered sacrifices before the Lord, and Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 bulls, 120,000 sheep. The king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. On the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court, which was in front of the house of the Lord, for he burnt, offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of peace offerings because of the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, was too small to receive burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of peace offerings. At that time, Solomon held a feast and all of Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful glad of heart for all the good that the Lord has done for the servant David and for Israel, his people. The word of God. The word of God. This reading was eh, a little bit longer than some of our readings, but I felt it was important that we would read these three chapters together. Um, you know, I, I felt it was critical for us to do that because if anything, you know, what I said before yesterday, I will repeat and reiterate again today is that we have to look at the scriptures as a compilation, right, as an encyclopedia. And this compilation and this encyclopedia points specifically to a truth. There is a point behind the story. Any story or any encyclopedia Right, is providing information in a codified way to give revelation to a thing. And so the Bible is a, an encyclopedia of books. And these books are giving revelation to a particular thing, to a particular thing. And, and because I'm not afforded the time, I want to encourage you to go back and to listen to the prior read and rants. Right, you can catch it at the Read and Rant podcast. You can also, um, if you're a patron, you can catch yesterday's and the day before. If not, it'll show up on the podcast eventually because it's already been posted, so it'll update um, based off of the schedule that I provided. But if you have been paying attention, you'll still see it from what we've been reading from Genesis up to this point, is we see that this story is about God restoring things. Right, Genesis is about the fact that something was lost. And now we find ourselves here in this particular text and throughout this whole story that we've been reading, what was lost in Genesis, God is writing the story of how it is being restored, how it is being brought new, how it is being brought to order. And we see that God is bringing this restoration through a particular people because God does not do anything on the earth without human participation. God collaborates with humanity because he chooses to. And because he places his word above himself, he's obligated to collaborate with humanity because of the very nature of who he is. Because he is God, he collaborates with humanity. When he said, let us make man in our image and let them have dominion, the great authority over the universe, now has 
delegated his authority on the earth to humanity. He is actually executing his will and his righteousness on earth through humanity. At the moment that humanity ceases to execute God's vision and God's plan for the earth, God then has to separate his authority from their authority and then choose not to reestablish his authority through a particular people. And that's what God is doing. God is choosing to reestablish his authority over the earth to make all things new and to make all things right, to bring justice and righteousness to the earth through a people. And he's done it through these people that he's chosen, the children of Israel. The children of Israel are the chosen people of God that he is executing this righteousness and justice. And so we've seen the thread of the story of what God is doing. Notice how something was lost at the garden. It was at the garden of Eden that mankind chose his law over God's law, his rule over God's rule, his desire over God's will. And once mankind chose his desire over God's will, just like any ambassador who chooses his will over the country's will, when any ambassador chooses his will over a nation's will, we call that treason. Mankind committed treason against the spiritual dimension. And because mankind committed treason, God separates from mankind. But God is restoring mankind because God has placed himself into mankind. He breathed into man his spirit and he became a living being. He is breathing into humanity. And as he breathes into humanity, he gives humanity his will, his mind, and he gives humanity his spirit. Ah, but something was lost at the garden. There was a fracture in God's covenantal relationship with his people. In God's covenantal relationship with his people, because the people who God chose, he chose them to live a life of God's rule and God's justice on earth. You know, when we talk about the children of Israel and the chosen people of God, often we think that it has something to do with some kind of higher position or hierarchy when to be God's chosen people was simply to be separate and to actually live a life of submission. Jesus embodies this. We're going to see this, this what it means to live out a life to be chosen by God because it was embodied through Christ by his life and his sacrifice and his submission. Jesus ruled by serving. And yet something was lost at the garden, the garden, the garden. Then Abraham, God instilled his promise through Abraham. And then through Abraham, now we see, we see that, that the God's story now has taken a shift. There's a shift in God's story and Abraham begets Isaac. Isaac begets Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become 12 tribes. That 12 tribes becomes a nation and a people and a family set apart. And yet they've called to be the nation of priests who will show the world what God is like. It is bringing the kingdom of God on earth, reconciling all mankind. Why am I bringing all this up? Because this wasn't the initial intention. 
mankind was already supposed to be in covenant relationship with God. The place where mankind is in covenant with God, pay very close attention, because this is what the Lord is compelling me with today, is the place where mankind is in covenantal relationship with God is both spiritual and it is both geographical. Because you can be in a geographical location and yet not be in a spiritual reality. And yet you can have a spiritual awareness, but that spiritual awareness coinciding with the geography brings a reality. That reality of that covenant bond with God is Eden. Let me repeat that again. Eden is the reality. It is a spiritual reality. Eden is not a physical location without the spiritual reality. Without the spiritual impartation, Eden is just another place. Ah, but when the Spirit of God the presence of God, the covenant of God, the promise of God, when it's coincided with man, that is Eden. Adam was in Eden with God. And the moment that Adam sinned, Eden was lost. People are looking for Eden on the earth. They're looking for the location for where Eden is. You will never find Eden on the earth because Eden cannot be Eden without the presence of the covenant of God. The ancient Hebrews understood this. They understood that Eden was a spiritual reality. They understood that. They understood that Eden was not about a physical corporeality, but a spirituality. They understood that. We're the ones who find a way to to, to turn these things into corporeal realities when, no, 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 this is not a corporeality. This is a spirituality. And now Eden is lost and, and Eden was lost. And yet in the middle and in the center of Eden was the garden, in the center of the garden of Eden was a tree. And that tree was the tree of life. The tree of life. And ever since mankind left the garden, mankind is trying to find his way back. Trying to get back to Eden. Trying to get back to Eden. Trying to get back to Eden. Our world is trying to get back to Eden. Our, our, our people are trying to get back to Eden. Our nations are trying to get back to Eden. We're, we're trying to find our way back to Eden. The children of Israel knew how to get back to Eden. They didn't do a very good job of getting there, but they knew how to get back because they knew. They knew. Can I, can I just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm ranting and I know I'm ranting, but 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 I, but I want to make sure everybody understands what's happening and what's transpiring in the time 
in this time because there's so much to unpack here that I'm, I'm not afforded that, right? We can do a Bible study on the tabernacle and we can do a Bible study on the temple. But I want to give you at least a picture of what this was all about. The tabernacle, if you remember and if you recall, the book of Leviticus, the tabernacle was built and it was built to be a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Um, um, the, the children of Israel, when they built the tabernacle, they built the tabernacle as a physical representation of a spiritual reality. So it's not about a corporeality. This was about a spirituality. It's two different things. So now, as we as we as we navigate through this, we begin to see that the children of Israel, what they're doing is is that they're presenting a physical picture in an image of what was lost from the beginning. What was lost from the beginning was Eden. When mankind chose his rule over God's rule, what was lost was Eden. And now at Eden, the tree of life is being guarded by the two angels. Now, 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 now we begin to see that what, what the tabernacle was is the tabernacle was an image, a prototype, a physical prototype of the Garden of Eden. That's what the tabernacle was. And the tabernacle, because it represented the presence of God, because in the tabernacle, watch this now, in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant was the law. Within the Ark of the Covenant is the law. Remember, this is all about image. This is not about um, this is all about pointing, using symbols and imagery to point to a spiritual reality. Mm -hmm. And so now we see the tabernacle. There's an outer court and then there's an inner court. And then there's the inner sanctuary that was called the Holy of Holies that represented something. I don't have enough time to break that down for you. But this outer court was pointed towards the east because that was where Adam and Eve had exited the garden. And to enter into the garden, they had to go westward towards it. So even the way that it was organized and in the way that it was um, um, constructed and built required them to go westward into it. It was designed that way. The children of Israel understood what the tabernacle was, that the tabernacle represented what was lost from the beginning. Eden. The tabernacle was a representation of Eden. The outer court represented the fallen world. The inner court represented the presence of God. And in the inner court was the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark, this Ark. And they traveled with this tabernacle because up to this point, this tabernacle was a tent. And they would build it everywhere they stopped. So everywhere that the ark went, they went as well because they wanted to make sure it was communicated that they entered, they, they left with God. They had the presence of God with them everywhere they went because remember they told, um, remember when Moses prayed to the Lord and the Lord gave him the promise of the land and Moses said, we will not leave this mountain unless your presence goes with me, with us. Remember I talked about this, that it's one thing to have the promise of God. It's another thing to have the presence of God. And for many of us, we want God's promise, but we don't want God's presence. And yet it is God's presence that there's fullness of joy and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. It is 
his presence over his promise. He wants his, it doesn't matter. We can have the promises of God, but if we don't have the presence of God, we can't fully enjoy the promise of God. And yet here he is. Here we are. We've gotten into the land that was promised to us. And yet the tabernacle is now being brought into permanence. He goes from tabernacle to temple. I find it interesting that in this place of permanence, on the mount, which is believed to be the Mount Moriah, where this tabernacle is being built, this beautiful, large tabernacle that Solomon has been inspired to build, this, this, this temple, sorry, not tabernacle, this temple that's being built, this physical temple, has all the imageries of the Garden of Eden. Outer court, inner court, holy of holies. What we just read today is an intricate, a detailed rendition and a rendering of the construction of the temple. That the temple, watch this now, wasn't to be representative. Make sure you get this family, because this is where we get it wrong. The temple was not representative of God's presence. It was primarily representative of God's promise. Oh, man, I don't have the time. Because even Solomon says in his prayer that God cannot be contained in this temple. God, who created all the universe and everything in it, cannot be contained in this, in this, in this, in this building. However, this building communicates his promise. You know, it's funny how we have turned temples into the places where God resides, that God is here. We've made the temples where God is. <laughs> when God cannot be contained in temples, he cannot be contained in tabernacles. No, actually what the tabernacle and what the temple represented was the promise of God. It represented a story of what God is doing. The, 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 we see this garden and the, the, the tabernacle was intricately designed. Sorry, the temple was intricately designed and built to communicate this outer court, the fallen state, and then into the inner court. And in the inner court, where the cherubim and, and the cherubim and in the cherubim, there's this ark, this ark. Notice that there's wood, the cedars that it was built with. And then it was overlaid with gold, gold 
a symbol of divinity and of and of power and spirituality and, and, and wood representative of humanity. There's a divinity and a humanity being fused together on this ark. And in the ark is the law. The law is in the ark and in the ark. That is this, 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 this ark. And in the ark, there's the, the law and in the law. It's being covered. And then we see now that the tree of life is represented by this box, this, this ark, because in it is the law. In it is the life. In it is restoration. It's not in us. This is a communication. This is not about simply us, you know, we'll, we'll do temple. We, we may do a Bible study on, 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 on temple. Uh, maybe a Bible study on the temple and on the tabernacle. We may eventually do that. Um, but because I am short on time, I am, I'm short on time today. Um, I want to leave with this point. Man, this is a rant. Solomon prays this prayer. And we see so many elements to the tavern, uh, to the temple, so many elements of God's redemptive work and the story of what God has done with the children of Israel from beginning to end. If you ever get a chance, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and recall what the Lord said to David. When David desired to build a house for the Lord, the Lord responded to David and said, first of all, it's not his time to do it. But then he responds to David and says, I will build you a house. It wasn't to build a temple that would house me, but I will build you, my people, a house. He was making his people his house. He was making his people his house. The temple was there to communicate what they anticipated to see, which is up to this point, no one could enter into the Holy of Holies that a priest had to enter on their behalf. That one would be a representative of the children of God to come in and to offer the sacrifices to God to mediate for God. This was an anticipation of a messianic king, of one that is to come, who would be the representative for us, the tree of life himself, the sacrifice. And I read this text. Man, there's so much here. And by the way, you're going to see more of this as we continue on in this reading. But Solomon builds this temple and he builds this intricate temple. And notice what God says before Solomon, as Solomon is planning and as he's built the temple. He, sorry, in verse nine. So he built the temple and he finished it and he paneled the temple with beams and with boards of cedar. And he built the sides and the chambers against the entire temple, each five cubits high. They were attached to the temple. Now watch this. Verse 11, and I'm going to leave you with this. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this temple, which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, 
keep all my commands and walk in them, then I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father, David. Again, go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, because that is the word that God gave David. And what did he say to David? He said, if you keep my commands, execute my judgments. If you walk in them, I will make you a house. And God reiterates it again in verse 13. He says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people. God was not promising his presence because the temple was built. He was promising his presence because they would walk in his way. He said, I will make you a house. I will dwell in you, not in temples made with hands, but I will dwell with my people. I will dwell among my people. The word dwell there, ready for this, is the word tabernacle. He said, I will tabernacle among my people. God's not waiting for you to go to church. God wants to dwell in you. God's not waiting for you to come back to the temple. He wants to dwell in you. There's some folks here who left the church. You've been hurt by the church. Some of you grew up Catholic and you had to go to a priest to ask for confession. None of it was biblical. You've been hurt, you've been burned. God does not want to dwell in the buildings, the beautiful buildings that we've made. Solomon has built a beautiful building, but it points to the promise of God, not the presence of God. Because the presence of God, God is saying very specifically here, that my plan was to dwell in my people. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go to a pastor. God is calling you now to dwell with him. He says, if they will execute my judgments and keep my commands, he says, I will dwell among my children. God didn't need a temple to dwell with his children. His children needed the temple to point to a promise. And once that promise was fulfilled, what did Jesus say in John? Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days and I will build it back up because he was not talking about the building. He was talking about his body. He was already tabernacling with his people. God wants to tabernacle with you. Right where you are, he wants to tabernacle with you. And the word, John chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You don't need a priest to bring you to God. 
You don't need a pastor to bring you to God. You don't need a prophet or an apostle or any of that to bring you into relationship with God. God is already coming to you. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and open, I will enter. He wants to enter you and dwell with you and he wants to make you a house. So Father, dwell with us today. Lord, if there's anything that I'm convicted of as I'm reading this, is I'm reading this, Father, I'm, I'm reading this, be reminded that it will be hundreds of years later that you will die on a cross just a few blocks away from this place. Just, just, just a few minutes walking distance from this place. That while all the children are coming for many hundreds of years to this building to perform sacrifices, to re-enter into your presence, to be reminded of what is needed to enter into your presence, you're going to be the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. You're going to be the sacrifice. This is going to happen so many years from now. I can't help but read this today and see the cross and see what you have completed and what you have finished. For you have given us something greater than the children of Israel. You have given us your spirit. You have given us the hope. You have given us the work that you have already finished and completed. We have a better thing, Lord, and for that reason, we're grateful. So today, let us walk in your presence. Let us walk knowing that we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Let us walk knowing that we dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. And we say that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's the presence, not the promise. God bless you guys. Love you all. I want to thank all of you who are uh, patrons. If you're interested in supporting and becoming a patron, we're really praying that the Lord would help expand our community of patrons as we look to commit more time. Uh, pretty soon on Patreon, I'm going to be uh, doing a few Bible studies. I may add this to the list now. Maybe we'll do a Bible study on the temple to really break down every element of the temple. Um, but I, I plan on also doing a Bible study on, on Revelation. Um, I want to do some teaching on the church. I want to do some teaching on the church because the church needs to learn about what the church is. Um, I wanna kind of point out some things that most of what you see in your churches, almost everything that you've grown up to see in your churches um, is actually not biblical. It's all cultural. And a lot of it is pagan influenced. Um, that almost every activity that you grew up doing in church does not have any biblical support. Um, not to say that there's anything bad about it, but it's the fact that we have made these things sacred when the Bible never made any of those things sacred. And so I, I'm going to be doing a series as well, a teaching series on the golden calves of church. Anyway, I'm really excited because I, by, by your support, it gives me time now to set aside, to just focus on creating these materials and to create teaching um, for you guys. And so for those of you who are patrons, thank you so much. I will be sending an update on that 
um, since it will be this month that we're going to be doing our Bible study on Revelation. So I want to encourage you. Uh, but for those of you who are here, for your support, your prayers, all of that, guys, I am profoundly encouraged by you all. So thank you. Thank you to everyone who has become a patron. 